Hey guys, it's Luke from Catching Foxes. Welcome to another beautiful episode. It's fun. I hope you enjoy it. I want to first talk to you guys about a great new sponsor we have here on Catching Foxes, the Saint Maker. It's time to take a good look in the mirror and ask yourself, are you okay with doing just the bare minimum? Of course you're not, loser. God is calling you to greatness, to sainthood. I'm just kidding. They actually didn't add the loser part. I did. God is calling you to greatness, to sainthood. But be honest, is that the path you're on most days? The Saint Maker is is a one of a kind personal journal and planner to help you reignite your faith, succeed in life, and experience true spiritual freedom. Centered on Catholic wisdom, it's backed by modern productivity science and it keeps you it keeps you focused, productive, and on fire for the faith every day. Thousands of Catholics are already on the Saint Maker journey and are reporting their amazing results. Uh, they sent me a copy a couple of weeks ago. I really do like it. There's a ton, it's, it's, there's a ton of stuff there. There's a lot of stuff to chew on. I really enjoyed it. I, I love being able to uh, the part about working on different types of virtues big big i'm a fan of that something i desperately need right now as do we all sinners with the saint maker free trial offer you can try it for 90 days risk-free if you decide it's not for you, return your Saint Maker for a full refund, including shipping. That's amazing. 90 days risk-free, and you can return it for a full refund, including shipping. My gosh. Take Listen, take advantage of this. Catching Foxes listeners can learn more about Saint Maker and get 10% off their first Saint Maker by visiting the saintmaker.com slash catchingfoxes and use promo code catchingfoxes, all one word, at checkout. That's the saintmaker.com slash catching foxes be sure to use the promo code catching foxes to get your exclusive 10 percent discount today thank you to the saint maker for sponsoring this episode of catching foxes <laughs> oh man i miss you uh. like a gentle lover returning from the spring I, the Gomer of Sea and Skype, mm. I hey. have heard. Oh, okay. uh, I just want to say hi to uh, Shia LaBeouf. I assume you're a new listener now, so it's good to see you, buddy. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, we would overlap. I think there's I think uh, various demographics. I wouldn't be surprised if he's heard the old oh, Catching Foxes. So if uh, trying to think of a movie of yours that I enjoyed. Um, I'm drawing uh, a blank. Transformers One. Transformers awesome. One was great. Yeah, no, it's true. No, and it's not because he has made bad movies. It's just I'm just drawing a blank on everything these days. To be honest with you. Oh, you know what movie, movie I just watched and didn't cry at? What? Peanut Butter Falcon. What's that? It's his last movie that he made. Uh, a sweet damn movie or a damn sweet movie. Oh, I, 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 is is that the one with him and uh, someone who has Down syndrome? Yes. I, it looked phenomenal. It looked really and cool. And Dakota, the lady from the Naughty movies. Dakota Fanning? Dakota, I don't no, know that's not the, her name. The, the woman from Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh. She plays Remember a, how big of a deal that was supposed to be and then it wasn't? Oh, it's a great movie. It's great. A lot of uh, terrible language, but what? I go, the, the, at one point they said, they go, Daddy, this has more F-bombs. Wait, wh- what movie are you talking about? Peanut Butter Falcon. Oh, it's like a feel good movie. I thought you were talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. I was like, no. wait a second. No, we'll watch that tomorrow with the kids. Uh, <laughs> no, but they said, uh, they're like, Daddy, this has a lot of, that's what they said. They go, Daddy, this has a lot of F-bombs. And no, I said, no more than a typical episode of Catching Foxes. And, and I was like, like, ha, ha, ha. What? Like, that pays for your insurance. <laughs> <laughs> you shut your mouth. And uh, no, and they go, Daddy, seriously, why would people listen to your show if you say so many curse words? And I go, 
<laughs> I don't know, but they sure do. They sure do. Thanks, so everyone. I, <laughs> so I have a really funny story to tell you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do tell. It, it's a nice short story. So uh, mm-hmm. I came home from work to eat lunch. Happens. And, and, uh, and my family showed up. They had just gotten back from an H-E-B trip. And so helping them with the groceries. And then I'm walking out to my car. I got to get back to work. I got two solid hours of work before I have to come back and mow lawns with my son because... I'm a terrible father, and I made him feel like crap this morning. So I'm, like, trying to get all this stuff done. And uh, <laughs> and as I'm throwing my bag, this, like, <laughs> she must have been 6'1", you know, uh, comes up on a bicycle into my driveway. And I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go. Solicitor, multi-level marketing. 20 years old, my guess, built like a college volleyball player. She just walks up to me and she goes, <laughs> pressure like a trip, 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 and I'm ready to stop. No, she Whoa. walks up to me and I'm like, well, this isn't a normal occurrence with the old Michael Gormley. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, hello, I, uh, I sell books uh, in your neighborhood. I met all your neighbors. Oh, Very she's great doing people. Th- that's awesome. And I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go. And so she you know started telling me. What? Oh, sorry. No, okay. Keep, keep going. Then I'll, I'll explain more to you. Uh, so she's like, I go and I sell these books, and I work for this company, and we buy bo- we sell books. Uh, are your chi- do you have children? And I was like, Yes, I do. You buy and books goes, now. And she goes, uh, Are they uh, in school now? And I go, We homeschool, and literally right now in my house, I have about fifteen hundred books, and we are curriculum nerds. We buy all sorts of stuff. She goes, Well, let me show you our books. See here, they put all high school curriculum in. One book per semester, so like all the math, all the science, all in one book. So they just have per subject. They just have one book. And I was like, uh, sure. And she goes, she opens up the math and she said, like, they have uh, like they explain math in in the um, in the uh, the old way and how you say like the new way. The uh, what is it called? And I was like Common Core. And she goes, yes. And I go, yeah, we don't do Common Core. I said, this, let me tell you about my life. We do classical <laughs> homeschooling. Yeah. And uh, we or we classical methods. Yeah, and then yeah, I was was like, "Can I tell you about Art Robinson and the Robinson curriculum?" No, I was like, "We do classical curriculum. We do not do uh, uh, Common Core in any way, shape, or form. We actually hate that crap." And she goes, "Well, what about college?" And I was like, "Colleges, they they don't care about Common Core. They just care to get the right answers." And we kind of went off on this tangent. And she goes. You can tell I'm not from here by my accent. I go, I go, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Down. <laughs> I go, where, uh, where are you from originally? And she goes, uh, I'm new here. I am from Latvia. And yes! I was like, <gasps> have you heard of us? <laughs> Come inside. Come inside. Meet my family. <laughs> we all went to kiss your fingers. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's a custom. He's custom, yes. <laughs> so I go, I go, you're Latvian. I love Latvia. But more importantly, Latvia loves me. <laughs> and she's like, what? What are you talking about? I go, I have a podcast that like hit ba- almost number one in Latvia. Uh, just a couple, okay, it was like almost a year ago now, but I was like, just a couple <laughs> months ago. And she's like, oh, you do podcasts. You do podcasts. I love podcasts. And I what, go, if they're like, um, what if we have like a cult following Latvia and they're obsessed with us? This is what she said. She goes, she said, what, what is it in? I said, oh, it was in a subcategory, religion and spirituality, Christianity. It was called uh, Catching Foxes. And she just freezes. 
And she looks at me and she goes, catching foxes? And I was like, yeah. I was like, have you heard? You haven't heard of it. And she goes, are you the fat one or the funny one? No way. And I just looked at her and I said, you're kind of, you're kind of, I'm obviously the funny one, but I don't think I am. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. <laughs> she didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Oh, <laughs> I didn't my But no, this woman was from Latvia and that's where the conversation. <laughs> oh, oh, you got my hopes up so much. I was like, it's real. It wasn't bots. It's real. <laughs> Latvia, not known for bots. They're known for literacy. <laughs> we have many statues of, of you throughout our city. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if, like, she's like, I was sent here by mayor of Kablukistan to give you key of city. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> we want you to come. You pay your weight, of course. <laughs> yeah, we're very poor country. <laughs> See, the miles haven't been adding up lately, so. <sighs> Time to tight because of COVID. I'm sure you understand. You're selling books. <laughs> So it's have you ever heard of those things? Uh I, I would imagine they're probably still popular where like you are like eighteen or nineteen or twenty, you get a job for or like over the summer you get these books and you're just dropped off and you get to basically keep a certain portion of the commission and it like it's meant to like build character and you can make a ton of money, but it's all on you. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like, like an MLM? It is, but it's a little bit different because the you actually do make money. And which I guess is like an MLM, but it it's like I guess it is. I I don't the, the appeal the appeal of it is it's meant to build like work ethic and persistence and it's it's like you're supposed to be selling a thing that's actually worthwhile, which it was originally encyclopedias. Oh okay, well I mean I'm a big fan, so I was hoping she would just say, "Oh, I sell Usborne books," and I'd be like, "Sorry, we already got a person," because I love Usborne books; they're great for kids. We buy. They're expensive mm-hmm. as hell, but they're really quality stuff, so whatever. But I was hoping she'd say that so I could just end the conversation. And then she dropped the Latvia bomb on me, and I'm like, uh, um, we're about to talk for 10 more minutes. Let's do this. Come see, come saw. Oh, man, it was funny. It was just, my life is so weird, funny yep, right it, now. It's it is just, weird. You, you live a weird life. I don't want to say uh, that, but I'm glad you brought it up. Man, thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. I'm, I'm glad you let me take the lead on that one. Yeah, you know what I'm doing. So th- this is this is my day right now. So I'm at work all day. Heard the first it? the first half of my day, the first four hours without stopping, is reviewing HR policy, FBI. Uh, what what is the other one? Uh, Homeland Security and my local sheriff's office policies on active shooter, active mm-hmm. active attacker training. Now I've already been through the training every year we go to it, but or by training I mean the seminar part. And uh, this is how we define terms and scare you with violent video. Um, and I'm like, yep, get it on YouTube. But then, <laughs> <laughs> Already got the pants for it. Yeah, but now I have to distill it for volunteers because we're having a sheriff come. And so tomorrow is catechist day. So I said I would go through all the major stuff, distill it down to some sheets of paper for our volunteers. And it's different for the staff and paid you know, leaders, but... For the volunteers, I had to create that. So I spent four hours creating that. Then I'm like, I got to stop staring at this damn computer screen. So I get my car. I drive home. Done. I just need lunch. And I need to disassociate from that. And that's when the whole, you know, Latvian lady selling books happened. So then I come back to work. And the next four hours is about three and a half is dedicated 
to actually writing my talk for tomorrow and creating handouts. Because tomorrow at 5.45 in the morning, I will be journeying to my office to do my uh, catechist day. So every year, about you know half a month before all of our classes kick off, we do a catechist day. And it's my opportunity to try to evangelize the hell out of the people that will be catechizing our kids. And this year, uh, Father David, he was at uh, two months of intensive Spanish. And uh, he came back like three days ago. And he came back and he's like, oh, you're doing this catechetical stuff. Have you ever read this document? And I'm like, no. And he's like, you should. It has all these things that you're supposed to be doing. And I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> here go. So I read it. and Scribulosity. I'm like, Good to see you. Yeah. No, and I, no, I start reading it, and I'm like, this is awesome. And then there's a follow-up. So it was by Pius X. Uh, and, and I was like, oh, this is great. And then there was a follow-up by Pius Twelfth, I think. And so I read that one. And the, in it, there's like, every parish needs to have a catechist day. And I'm like, oh, Oh, cool. And it has all this list of stuff. And I'm like, hey, I'm already doing half of this stuff by accident. I feel great. This is <laughs> and great. The other half, ah, well, whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, screw it. What does the Pope's matter? He didn't reference Vatican II, so I don't care about him. It's always <laughs> it's always great. No, but like when you find stuff in the church like that confirms what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh man. It's, it's really, like, or, or add some more depth and, and wants to. I had that with evangelization in the modern world by everyone's favorite Pope, uh, Pope St. Paul VI. <laughs> uh, one of the most important documents uh, that's come out in the last 100 years, in good old Luke's opinion. Uh, it just was, it's it's like every time anyone's like, how do you evangelize? How do you, how do you evangelize? I just want to be like, just read the book. There you go. Here you go, right there. It is awesome, and I will say, you put together an excellent, what was it, uh, 10 points, 8 points, something like that, that was like distilled from did, Evangelia yeah. Nuziandi. Did we do That's a podcast great. on that, or did we just do a talk on that? I don't remember. We did We did the retreat for the Archdiocese right. St. Louis right. staff on it. That was fun. And it was awesome. That was fun. It was awesome. And then I stole your thing, and I've given like 10 <laughs> talks on it. Whoopsie. <laughs> and by that, judging by your rate, $30,000. I'll take 10%. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm just kidding. Um Hey, I'm doing that man as you. I'm going to the sessions, and I had a no. I, I know. Can you believe it that I'm doing this? I know. Are you serious? I, I, I hate, love that. So I, I love everything about this. I know. I have a feeling I'm gonna be like, oh, the boomer Catholic energy is gonna be so strong at this. But uh, Sam Blair's one of the speakers on there, and I'm just like, that's a, like I know I've met like maybe about like ten percent or so of all the people who are gonna be speaking at it, and uh, everyone else seems very cool. And I was like, man, Sam Blair, it's just, we need to have him on the show because it just is still, his whole thing is just amazing. Like, <laughs> he's a seal. I know. Do you remember? He's when a Navy when, seal. I just still, because like Sam was like, I remember in college, just like, again, one of the nicest guys in the world, felt very shunned and judged that he didn't, ju- that he didn't join AMDG, though I understand he's better than all of us. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I remember we were in Austria and Sam was just like, like, just, I just, he's one of the people in college I just love. I just, I love Sam, yeah. Sam Blair and uh, always enjoyed talking and, and, and hanging out with him. And uh, he's actually a guy that I would, I, I kind of, I wish I could have gotten to know him. I was actually bumping and joining Household because I was like, oh, I would love to get to know him more. I love more opportunities yeah. to just, just to have developed a friendship with him, even, even, that was even um, deeper than the one I had. And, uh, but the thing I remember about Sam was because I knew him his first year, and then we go to Austria, and he's there, and we were playing flag football, and I was like, Sam, Sam's a phenomenal athlete. Like, a pheno- <laughs> like a phen- I remember just being like, oh, my- Sam might be the best athlete here. Like, a phenomenal athlete that you wouldn't expect to be that 
that that athletic. You're like, oh, here's a normal guy, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, his hand-eye coordination, uh, yeah, is just kind of off the charts. Yeah. So like when I heard he joined his heels, I was like, what the hell? And and then I was also like, but that does kind of make sense. He's an insane athlete, badass. Just like he's just not. Yeah. He's, he's, I guess he's what you'd call a good human being, uh, salt mm-hmm. of the earth. Mm-hmm. So my, <laughs> I was taking a walk last night, and I was. And I got a text saying, hey, Luke, here's where you sign up. And I was like, okay. <sighs> and so um, and I thought about, okay, like, because w- anytime I go to a thing I'm like this, m- my disposition is truly one of like just wanting to go and enjoy it and just, and to learn. Yeah. There's yeah. a little itty bit of me. There's a little itty bit of me that wants to like show up to that like Loki in Ragnarok when he shows up. He goes, your savior is here. And I like, comes down like... <laughs> With his hands up, like, in the air in his grand entrance. <laughs> See, kids, we call that part the fall. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, uh, the, like um, or the um, Megan of her pwn thing after she scores the goal and it's like this with her hands up. Like, that's kind of, like, I, there's just a little bit of me that kind of has that going on, too. But it's, I mean, you know, it's like 89, 80-20. No, mm. that's, 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 that's too low. 84. 87% humble, just excited to go and partake. 13% <laughs> suck so much it doesn't contribute so much. <laughs> um, did you see what I, I sent you? I wanted to talk about this as well, but I forgot to I'm sent you. So we Wait, have so time. It's have you how many videos have you watched of the uh that made thing? It doesn't start till September 10th. So I've signed up. It's like every week we go to we, we go to a thing. There's like 150 people who are signed up. So I'm wondering yeah. how that's going to work. So the best part about that man is you, and I want to get going. your feedback is when you see my video. Are, wait, is are you are you one of the speakers? Oh, I'm all over that bitch, son. But there's I'm only like over. ten speakers, though. I thought. Oh, and guess who's one of them? Uh, your face wasn't on the thing. Ah, oh, you a liar. No, it's I. I didn't see you. So a friend of mine, I was the person whose yard my son was mowing, where I failed in my fatherhood. Uh, it, my son was mowing their yard, and they said uh, I walked in, and the first thing the little girl says, <laughs> Samantha, she goes, "Mr. Gormley, we saw you in Houston," and I was like, "What? I wasn't in Houston. What?" And she said. Uh, yeah, we were down at the church at St. Vincent de Paul, and there was a big poster, and your face was on it. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I started to panic because I was like, oh, <laughs> oh dear no. God, am I oh, supposed no. to give a talk there? <laughs> <laughs> we have a live podcast there in two days. Luke doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> all is lost. All is lost. I was supposed <laughs> to buy the tickets. Um, yeah, and uh, she said, and then her, uh, Angie's like, there was a That Man Is You poster, and your face was on it, because apparently you're one it's of so, the speakers. It's so funny. And she looked at it, and she goes, there's Mr. Gomer. Mr. Gomer is everywhere. <laughs> and I just looked at her, and I you're darn right I am. Never forget it, child. Never, Never forget, forget it. it. Yeah. Uh, can I tell you about a thing that, that happened that was very cool? Yes. So I wanted to talk with you about a song, but I forgot to send to you. Before we predetermine what we were going to talk about, everyone, get ready. It only took 350 episodes. Mm. Uh, the last Me Without You show happened last weekend. Really? Yeah, I know. I, I should have texted you about this. I don't know why yeah, I did you probably should have. I, uh, well, I, I, I did <laughs> when it was on. I'll okay. send you this. It's, it was actually like kind of amazing. It was kind of yeah. amazing. Um they live stu- they did two shows they pay- they played 32 songs on their last show 
And so it was really beautiful. Like the stage was just filled with all these flowers and plants and stuff. (laughs) It was like so on brand. And there was a couple parts from like a just fan of Christian indie stuff from the past 20 years or even like the late 90s, early off that like really hit me. Mm. And they were playing on Messes of Men, the this, this song, you know, mm. like down, um, Little Moses downstreams in the Niles, awkward, Richard laugh, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it kind of ends, and all of a sudden you just hear this, bum bum dum bum and I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like, I, I, I think I start screaming, shut up. And it just keeps on going. And then I'm like, this is the end of, of Memphis will be laid to waste. And then like the lead wow. guy from like Norma Jean at that time comes on stage and like you just see like a fourth of the crowd, which is like everyone our age, losing yeah. their mind. And they just start screaming fashion, fashion, because it's the part where he's like, oh, Christ, it's not a fashion, you know, whatever. And then he just screams fashion. And then like Aaron West goes into his little like thing. Well, he it's it's be- it was like. I sobbed. I started sobbing, like, because it was just such like a beautiful. It almost felt like I was there. I don't know how else to explain it because it, it just was like um, one of the fun things about. And this is true with like any type of like fun, like fun like, genre uh, scene. It's fun when like other people from other bands come in and like sing parts on like different up songs or or stuff. Especially when you have a genre that I think is very community oriented, which is what the indie Christian rock scene was. Yeah. It just feels very much like your thing, mm-hmm. and it just it had that vibe to it. It had that like kind of late nineties, early aughts, like we're at a Christian a rock show, and it's just the best because like we love God, and we're around other people who love God, hearing songs about God, and like that's really. And I just like I'm weeping, and I'm honestly like almost like I'm like out of my seat, like like not like dancing per se, but I'm like just so like amped. And it was mm-hmm. all and apparently they did it at a couple shows because his band was touring nearby or like or he they'd opened up. So I'll like I'm send it to you. It's nice. real like when that drum part came in, I like I'm like I I mean because I've heard that song like a thousand times. So as soon as I heard that like bum 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 dum I was just like what? What? <laughs> <laughs> It's happening. It's. I think if I had been there and if I had seen that live, I just would have stopped. <laughs> I just would have because like I was trying to. I mean, I was I was explaining it to to Aaron. I started crying again while talking about it because I was like, "You just got to understand what this means. It's very important." Uh, I was listening to Trent Horn's podcast, The Council of Trent, and he did it at Ask Me Anything. And someone said something about bands, and he said, "You know what's funny about that? Just yesterday, I was driving down the street." And there was a car with a bumper sticker, and that bumper sticker said, I remember Five Iron Frenzy. <laughs> and he said, he rolled down his window, and he was like, I remember them, too. I loved them. And I was like, oh, Not as much Luke. as me. Huh? What did you say? I'm just kidding. I said, not as much as me. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a competition. I'm the Catholic somewhat speaker, somewhat C-list Catholic celebrity who loves Five Iron the most. Let me be very clear here. <laughs> I would probably put him as an A list. Oh yeah, I know. know. Yeah, he. he, I think his A list to me means your name alone could sell tickets. Right. I didn't mean that he was uh, that he was a C list. I'm just saying we all have our thing. (laughs) Five Iron is kind (laughs) of. I've insured for the past 25 years. That's been mine. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Uh, and so th- there's a there's a new value song that I uh, they played called All All Circles, 
that I it's off of the album that like it's like really uh, metaphorical. It's the one about um the train that like there's oh, yeah, a crash the circus, like, the circus thing. Yeah. And I'm like, that's gonna take way too much work to try to understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, like um, back to the first and second album, yeah. first, second, and third album, and I'll just stay here. I don't wanna have to try to um, figure out what you're saying. I want it to be hit on the head with it. I wanna hear you clearly are having a hard time with the breakup by just going, dun dun, you'd better be alone. Like <laughs> So I have a quick question Sorry. for you. Have Go you ahead. watched Shia LaBeouf's interview with Bishop Barron? Uh, have I watched the clips of it, the one that you sent? No, I, I haven't watched it yet. Oh, I thought it was great. No, number one, he's incredibly intelligent. And, hmm. you know, you don't get that from just watching Transformers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's funny and he's quick. Like well, but could- I would say the ability to probably do some of that, sometimes doing the simple things well. Yeah. Is you, you have to know thing. how to do it. So Bishop Barron, his, one of his opening questions was, you know, in terms of your acting style, are you like a method actor? Like, and he rattles off a handful of names, and he's like, no. He's like, number one, thank you for putting me in those categories. I don't deserve to be there. But he's like, no, I'm not a method actor. I think method acting is weird. I think the people that do it, um, are it's just an excuse for their stupid behavior like no you're not a method actor you're actually a jerk i've heard i've heard other people say that yeah and he said to me um that's not acting he's like you're 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 putting on a mask so permanently he's like you're you're actually being fake and he's like and you're being fake to an extreme he's like i don't like that he's like to me uh it is to get in touch with like the emotional side of all of this and i'm like you know, walking through my church, or not my church, but the office <laughs> building, and I got my headphones in. Just like a walk around the church with your headphones. Huh. Huh. <laughs> I got my ear, earbuds in. How common do you think that is at like a Protestant church where their space means nothing? Yeah. Good Lord. Oh, man. My heart has changed so much in the last six months. Yeah, you are such a rat chat. Sorry. Go on. Uh, but the... Uh, just hearing him talk about it from this artistic perspective, I just loved. And then he, you know, that does Latin, the fame, what will now be very famous, uh, Latin mass. Like the, the line he said, you know, he's like, you know, the thing I like a lot about Latin mass is that, you know, they're just doing their thing. They're, and he said, but the new mass, it's like, they're, it's like a used car sa- or a car salesman is trying to sell me something. And Bishop Aaron's like, oh, okay, like, okay. And he's like, but the Latin Mass, and he was talking about it. And he goes, yes, you know, like in the pre conciliar times, you know, it, it could have its shadow side as well, its dark side, you know, rigidity and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, but I also, you know, just like you said, with a good, like, yes, this, this as well. And he's like, yeah, anywho. So <laughs> he just kept going. And it's funny I have no because. for any of that. Yeah, it's funny because he's, he obviously has knowledge to know there's like, conflict but not necessarily he didn't draw from liturgy wars kind of thing yeah. so it's fun to hear this guy totally on the periphery of catholicism he was raised well he i think, I think he was baptized catholic and or something like huh? that. yeah his mom was, was raised, a hippie jew yeah. uh he did a bar mitzvah he said i was just intoning words that meant nothing to me and he said and that's why i was really turned off from religion because if that's all it is then i i can't do that that's putting on a mask that's being fake but anyway he it was it was really awesome to hear him just kind of talk through what it was like. And one of the things that was so powerful for him was, he, you know, he drove up to the seminary. He just hung out with these priests and brothers. And um, he said, you know, all they, all they wanted was to have ice cream with me and laugh 
He's like, they didn't. They, they were the first people in my life that didn't want anything from me. And he goes, and this was at a time when my own mother wasn't talking to me because she heard all the horrible things I was doing, and mm-hmm. you know, I was killing dog. What did he say? He was like doing drugs, killing dogs, and abusing women. And he's like, you know, whatever. You know, you hear all this crazy crap. You know, so she didn't talk to me. And then one day he was praying the rosary, and he just felt it powerfully. Like, call your mom. So he called oh, his mom, wow. and he's like, God bless him. I'm safe. I'm okay, and I love you. And she's like, thank you for telling me that. Goodbye. And so that Jeez. was like the beginning of Bill. But he's going to be in a new movie with Padre Pio. And I, he's, and that's the trailer the looks thing. pretty interesting. I haven't seen the trailer yet, but he said the cool one of the, the, the second most important line in there about the Novus Ordo and the TLM was he said the thing with the Novus Ordo, he's like, you know, like I feel activated. He kept talking about it. I feel activated. And Bishop Barron's like, yes, the full conscious and active participation that the Vatican council called for and he goes yeah but he goes but here's the deal about the new mass it's like a bunch and i can't remember the exact phrase he said but it's essentially this it's like a bunch of people sitting in an office we're like let's come up with a way to activate the laity you know like basically it's like this bureaucratic or academic judgment call and it's like now here's a rock solo and he was like that doesn't work it doesn't work yeah i'm like whoa whoa this guy this guy i want to kiss him so Listen, if Matt Frad got can okay, hey Matt, I know you're probably gonna have him next. Can can you pass him over to us first? You got you got Mark Wahlberg. I was gone for three months. Okay, you got that. Can we have this one? Can we have this on. one, Matt? Please come on, come on, come, come on. on. We haven't talked to you in months. Come on, I missed your scent. <laughs> you got five more days in your damn media fast, Matt. <laughs> then get back to us yeah. and bring us Shia. And bring a Shia with you. We, we, we demand Shia. No, uh, uh, after he's like, I I, the first people who didn't want anything from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on our show. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. No, I, you know what's funny? I, I've been really like, let's just do it. I, you know, so I have really consciously tried to, <laughs> I've not tried to avoid the uh, great, the great liturgical wars of 2000. 18 to 2022 um i i don't want to start with what my problem with it all is because i want to start with like where my heart is like i have really really been considering starting going to a parish here i believe called holy family they're an fssp church and uh prove by the diocese still able to to do their thing because i i long for those things too and I'm, I'm getting tired of just the other stuff i really really am and i just I don't know. I I um I have a really hard time with Catholic groups that leave no space for like my experience of a band like me without you. I want to hear when I when I heard that song and how much it means to me and how much God speaks to me through their through their through their music and how much their music uh has drawn me to God and like called me on to holiness or convicted me when I've been entrenched in different things or like given me hope or all like god it's just such a to me it's like i really do believe that new value um makes on the sacred art i think their stuff is just so oozes with like god and holiness and just like it just pulls me to god and i'm i have a hard time when it's like so i like want to go to this church and then i see this thing on twitter of this rat trad dude who like throws a protestant bible in in like a fire after quoting a pope about how all protestant books should be burned from like you know uh, like 
whatever year. And I'm just like, well, <sighs> ah, like, yeah. and and I, and I, I don't is like. I hear that Morgan Freeman voice, you know, uh, <laughs> that's used in a lot of like, you, oh gosh, YouTube videos. But he's like, and that's when he realized he done f***ed up. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think of that every time. I'm like, oh, why did well, you, you had me at hello and then you lost me. And like, I, cause I, okay, so like, do you remember when you were gone for one episode I interviewed th- like three different people? Yeah, and it was really and one fun. of them was your buddy who did the Latin mass. It was uh, uh, Lucas, yeah, and like he's someone Lucas, who's yeah. like a wonderful human being. He's yeah. not an asshole. He's he's great to talk to. He is. I love hearing his thoughts on on this stuff. And, and it like so before we dive into all of this, this is one of the reasons why I've been trying to avoid that because I have such conflicting yeah. thoughts that actually like, really hurt me because I think back to some of my favorite masses have been with the Glen Mary Homishners. Who are not like that at all, <laughs> and but there's a beautiful. They have the simplest of liturgies. Sometimes they do them in you know a like in, in like a mountain in the middle of nowhere, in like a tent that has hundreds of people who are having to sleep in it. Tons of migrant homeworkers, and they're having a mass there because they're the only people who are, can will take the time to go there to hear to hear confession to, to you know and. and to say mass and it doesn't have any of this stuff and i'm like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If, this, if if god is only at the latin mass and what is this if god is only at if god is only with this stuff then why does then why do i feel god move through me without you like what then it, either that stuff is a lie or wrong or if, if it's so one way and one way only then why does why do i experience god in these other ways like it, it just it frustrates me because I, I I want both like I want both yeah. I want like I don't want a world where like the Glenmarians can't be the Glen and, and there are some Glenmarians who love the more traditional styles of of like a masses especially one of um one of the younger priests like he really likes it and it just I don't know I like I I'm I'm not trying to like I, I just like if you feel the tension. This is where it's coming from, and this is why I tried to avoid talking about this to a certain extent because I don't really know how to resolve that yet. Yeah. Could I uh, – I think three things come to mind from our past. Number one is Audrey Assad, our interview with her. And what, are you, she's, what are you talking about? Click, 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 click. <laughs> <laughs> she's clearly <laughs> buying crap on Amazon while we're talking. No, but she said, I don't make – I don't do praise and worship. I don't call myself a praise and worship leader or worship leader. I make devotional music. That's the first time I ever heard that. I was like, oh. She goes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I don't make music for like liturgy. I, I make devotional music. I make music that speaks to the human heart about their relationship with God or whatever. And I, okay, awesome. And then the other thing was your buddy who did the mission, um, Native American mission oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In, in Montana, I think it was. He did that for five years? I think so, um, yeah. yeah. Well, he had said that he ended up bringing, and I went online and I was looking at their mission. I think we donated to their mission, but that they only do the traditional Latin mass on the Indian reservation. And I was like, what? Okay, but why? He said, well, they were evangelized and became Catholic, you know, 150 years ago. And he's like, and then, you know, the, one of the remarks that they say to me when I started bringing up these Novus Ordo priests is, you told me Catholicism was spoke of timeless truths. The gospel was timeless. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And yet you just completely changed the whole mass. Isn't everything around the mass? And he's, so he said, in order to actually evangelize the adults, I had to bring in a traditional Latin mass priest. And he said, and to get one to do that was like crazy. So I went on their website. They don't have a church. They celebrated outside. Like I would imagine your tent celebration with the Glen Mary Home Missioners and all that stuff. And then the, the, the kind of the third thing that I would say is um, talking with Chris Carson. So this is an interview that you weren't a part of, but it was, I think it was the week before, two weeks before you came back on. And Dr. Chris Carson, who does the Liturgy Institute, and he just does Novus Ordo stuff, right? He's not, he's not, you know, whatever, but he runs the Adoramus Bulletin. And his whole thing, and his book, Principles of Sacred Liturgy, is phenomenal. His whole thing was my same, and I think I probably said this last week, my same criticism of all these reforming the parish, renewing the parish, is we're asking the mass to do a thousand things that it's not supposed to do. Agree with that. But the thing that I never thought of that he said was, he's like, one of the best things that we can do to serve the mass is to increase the devotional private life of our parishioners. I was like, okay, why? And he said, because when they don't have a devotional private life, we then have to have the mass do that. I remember that part. That was interesting. Right. And so, so, and, and then, okay, so then this all goes back to that, that one liturgy argument where me and you were literally yelling at each other. Where you That's were like, I hit my peak of liturgy frustration and anger. Yeah, right. But you, you were saying, but Pete, you can't say that, you know, there are people who profoundly met God at these, you know, uh, folk music masses or praise and worship masses or whatever and they had an experience of god i don't think i mean they're definitely the guy that burned a protestant bible which he will uh that's probably definitely a mortal sin because it is still the word of god and he was doing it in a disrespectful way um oh oh, sorry 27 books of the new testament that we all have in common (laughs) yikes I thought the same thing yeah so but i would say honestly most normal people in the traditional latin mass movement would never say that they, they you know like they would do all the things that you do they would love that they would think that but they wouldn't have it at the mass and that's the difference like you imagine if you had messes of men as your communion hymn yeah, no i wouldn't like that right but you would maybe driving back from mass or coming out of a retreat or 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 honestly you know you right now at home hitting play and listening to i wrote a four-word letter Postscript, crooked lines. lines. You know, like I hear, like all, I take me without you lyrics into adoration with me. I've Same. been doing that for literally, how long have I, what, 20 years now? Has it been, literally been 20 years, 19 yeah, years? They're banned for 21 years, so yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I and when I interviewed him for Catching Foxes, that's what I said to him. I was like, is that like, how, do, how does that affect you? And the guy's like, okay. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, this is okay. okay you hear this right. a lot. <laughs> yeah. But, just to say, there, that's not like if if I were to be a TLM and I don't go to the traditional Latin mass, but I would say there's there's nothing needed to reconcile there. Like you can have that. You can listen to pra- listen to praise and worship music. Let it inspire you. Let it heal you. Let it. You know, um, Saint Francis de Sales talks about affective prayer. That is emotional prayer because sometimes our bodies don't want to do it, but we still need to show up and pray. And so sometimes it's really, really important mm-hmm. to be like, you know what? I do need to listen to Good Good Father. I really do. I just need to turn on Good Good Father or Reckless Love or some sappy song. And I need to listen to it because it, it means something to me. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's good. It's real to me. <laughs> that's my truth, damn it. Yeah. Uh, but no. But then, but then the thing becomes, but when I walk into the church, what 
is different about this place, this time. And if I say, well, uh, I'm a little pissed off that the choir director won't play Me Without You. I mean, I brought him a CD. I'll bring him <laughs> a, a record. He can just play it. You know, that, then what happens is I'm, I'm imposing on the liturgy, which is communal worship, my private individual preference. Mm-hmm. And it becomes 10 times worse than the lady that, you know, we scoff at, the elderly woman with her rosary during the Latin Mass who's not paying attention to anything happening at the Mass. She's just doing a private devotion. And Pope Benedict, that article that I sent you, mm-hmm. I read it. One of the, his criticisms of the priest conciliar Mass was people, because they were so disconnected, which and and there is, part of the liturgy wars is there's argument there uh, that that statement of like no one participated in mass or everyone was just a spectator there's elements of that's an overhype exaggeration but let's just take Pope Benedict at his word and say yeah these people who felt so disconnected that they were doing their own devotion so they're doing devotions during the liturgy you shouldn't be doing that and that brought the problem of well now I'm, I'm isolating for the liturgy but now imagine if this rosary saying grandmother said no. All of you shut up and listen to me pray the rosary. That's the modern equivalent of what we're doing to the mass to a certain extent. Like we're trying to bring in music that ties into that. But literally every one of the major Catholic hymnals has dozens upon dozens of heretical hymns in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, dozens. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if your church has these, then you have to ask yourself, how did this get approved at a, at a quote unquote Catholic publisher? Like a GIA. Do you know what GIA? You ever heard of that publisher? They publish yeah, the Gallery yeah, I, I, I forget what it stands for, but yeah. It stands for the Gregorian Institute of America. They were formed in response. I just learned this like two weeks ago, and I, like my jaw dropped open because the woman giving the presentation, she said, do you want to know the most famous institute that responded to the Pope's call in 1905 to start Gregorian music in America and keep the chant live? It was called the Gregorian Institute of America, G-I-A. And I was like, oh, the people who make the gather hymnal, right? Now they've completely disowned that, right? They've completely mm-hmm. disowned that, that heritage. But how would you respond if someone were to say, well, people who want us to go back to like a Latin master or do all this old stuff, they're just, they're just trying to put their personal, that's what they personally want. Is that just the same thing? So yes and no. I, I think definitely you can do the preferencing thing, right? Where it's like, this is my preference, this is what I prefer. But I would say the difference is in what Pope Benedict said repeatedly. Like, we've had this in, in almost its complete parts in the 1962 Missile. We've had for practically 1,500 years. Now, stuff has been added over the years. But we've had it for 1,500 years, more or less. The Gregorian form was more or less the Tridentine form. There's stuff that's added totally, Saints' Feast Days and all that other stuff too. But the the idea is it's something totally different than just my preference because this is the thing that made saints for 1,500 years – and to just discard it in four years' time, even the catechism of the Catholic Church says not even the supreme pontiff can alter the liturgy, right? Like, and you, you see this and you're like, but the supreme pontiff did dramatically. They did a huge study and they found out that only 11% of the old mass was brought into the quote-unquote new mass. And Paul VI, whenever he published it a year, two years later, said... How can we even use this mass? It's not even finished. Like half of it wasn't even the work that we now have today. It wasn't even ready. 
1969, but they promulgated the, the, the train that left the station kind of. So my big thing is like the Latin mass, you can't just say it's a preference. Now, again, I do not go to a Latin mass. I haven't been to a Latin mass in 20 years, right? I am not. This is the same damn thing that I deal with Balthazar and Dare We Hope. I don't believe in his arguments, but I'm, I, everyone just erects straw men. It drives me nuts. Like, why am I defending Iran in the U.S.-Iran wars? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, the funny thing is, like, but the Latin mass is, is the valid form of the mass. It's never been abrogated. It's never yeah, been shut yeah. down. And when a pontiff, a supreme pontiff who cares above all about communitarianism, synod on synodality, and he dictates what you can and cannot put in your local parish bulletin is literally insane to me. And now we're getting to the part that I was also like, well, oh, before we – okay, can we put that on hold or do you want yeah, to pause. go down that Boop. rabbit hole? Because hey, I, man, I, I'm drinking Trulies. I'm also a little bit like – What's going on? Um, the uh, chicken nicks. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh gosh! Like I, I think, like that when that article that you sent me of when talking about stuff that Bentley had done, how there were things that he wanted, like yeah. more things in the vernacular, more participation from the lady, a restructuring of yeah. the saint stays. Yeah, my favorite thing he said, the saint stays. That was my favorite thing that stood out to me because he said Sundays should never. Saints days should never trump Sundays. Like yeah. Sundays are the mini Easter. And to all of us in the Novus Ordo, we'd be like, of course it is. Well, that necessarily wasn't true back preconciliar days. So yeah. part of the reform was reforming the calendar, which I'm again, I'm all in favor of. I I feel like a lot of that stuff is where the arguments tend to happen though. Some of like, them. Yeah. Not yeah. not not all of them, but like I feel like yeah. a lot of them tend to be more about um I, I just I feel like we're arguing a lot over the form. And and I and that's where I I just kind of have a that's where I have like a hard time because I'm just like if you're just if if you're telling me that like this is where like that stuff that's happening God isn't there I'm like I just don't agree with you like because well, I just that, yeah and that's I, I I just don't understand why um I don't know I I feel like I don't I don't want I feel like I don't want to be like a util a um like a Catholic version of uh of um a universalist when it comes to the liturgy wars but i i also just can't deny that like there's the simplicity that i've experienced with other liturgies that i really like or i find to be really like my favorite mass i've ever my favorite probably my favorite mass ever was the first time i went to the morning mass at franciscan there was just it was just a priest there was yeah there was like no 10 minute intro by someone okay can't say his name he gets mad uh there was <laughs> he tweets a lot he's got a lot of followers it's fine oh yeah whatever yeah he's he's he loves that um uh it <laughs> uh, <laughs> laughing so hard yes but yes there was but a like a like praise and like, worship people that would the band leader would do the the lengthy intro before mass could was allowed I'll to begin. I'll never forget one of the preachers giving him the biggest eye roll ever during mass, and I was like, "Thank you." <laughs> um, yeah. this, see, but, to me, it's like that's appropriate if you're at a praise and worship event. Yeah, if oh, you're yeah, at a yeah, festival yeah, yeah, yeah. of praise, a fop that we call it Franciscan, great, do that. Encourage, you know, reach out with yeah. your heart today. Blah blah blah. But when it's the mass, the priest should walk in, ring the bell, and go down the aisle. Right, like. 
Champion Troy. <laughs> Look at you. What's <laughs> happened? I'm gone for three months, and all of a sudden you're like, and you know what else I don't like? <laughs> no, man, I love it all. See, that's the thing. Insert this race here. Uh, it, uh, I'm just <laughs> Tatooine people. <laughs> the moths. Um, I, I just like my... I feel so weird because, like, I remember the first time I ever went to where, like, they were doing the mass the other way around, Adorantum or whatever the heck you call it. And I was like, oh, great. I'm finally going to experience it. And I was like, this is it? <laughs> like, it just, it, I didn't have this, like, yeah. And then everything yeah, and made sense. Yeah. But, but yeah. I will say, when you start to think about what's going on, th- a lot of the setup doesn't make sense. You know, like the altar doesn't make a lot of sense the way that we have the altar now, as opposed to like the high altar, the table that's just in the in the middle of the space. Yeah, it, it, it looks like an eyesore once you see it. Once you see it, it's almost like, huh? huh. But <laughs> quite often, like the when I've been to mass where they are doing that, it's not like all of a sudden everything just makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, I, I'm hesitant to be like. Everything will change if we just do this because I'm like I don't really think so because if that was the case over the Rhine would be the, the, the like over the Rhine old St Mary's they get a ton of um, people there but if that was the key to you know evangelizing young people just that um, mass it would be standing room only every weekend because it's in the it's in a place filled with millennials and Gen Z and it's not yeah so yeah. there's I, I just it's all that's it's it's like everything that surrounds the argument. Yeah, it's all the collateral damage almost. Not collateral damage. I'm trying, yeah. to, figure, I'm trying to figure. No, I think that's a good, a good analogy. That like that just um, that that like bothers me. Mm-hmm. When when we're talking about what's going on and how it's and how it, it like and what w- when we talk about what's actually happening, that's where I'm on board. Yeah, it's everything else that like really for me I have a hard time with because I'm like if you look again if you look at like well, like Benedict what he's saying people who argue about like it's not Valentine's Day anymore or like um, different things I'm just like dude like yeah okay listen to this listen to this assuredly it is a wise and most laudable thing to return in spirit and affection to the sources of the sacred liturgy. For research in this field of study, by tracing it back to its origins, contributes valuable assistance toward a more thorough and careful investigation of the significance of feast days and the meaning of the texts and sacred ceremonies employed in their occasion. Here it comes. But it is neither wise nor laudable to reduce everything to antiquity by every possible device, thus to cite some instances. One would be straying from the straight path were he to wish the altar restored to its primitive table form, were he to want black excluded as a color for liturgical vestments, were he to forbid the use of sacred images and statues in churches, were he to order the crucifix so divine that the Redeemer's body shows no trace of the cruel sufferings, and lastly, were he to disdain and reject polyphonic music or singing in parts, even when it conforms to regulations issued by the Holy See. Now, that was written... In a, in a document called Mediator Dei, right, by Pope Pius Twelfth, And he was criticizing certain elements. It's the first major document on the liturgy kind of as a whole. And he was criticizing these bizarre things that people are doing in the liturgy. And he's like, there are some places that they're doing everything in the vernacular. And he's like, listen, there might be some place for that. Okay. But, like, you're ruining Latin. And so at Vatican II, when this one elderly priest said, or bishop said, 
you know, if we give everything over to the vernacular, we're going to lose the Latin. And everyone laughed. They laughed at him. They're like, no, we, we will never. We will never lose the Latin. And in four years, we lost the Latin, even though Vatican II said it must maintain pride of place, right? Even though. So the, the things that bother me the most are not, or, or, let me back it up and say, yeah, let's go to Orient, um, Ad Orientum, right? When the priest faces east, why do they do that? Do you know why they do that? Do you know, like, the theological reason? Yeah, they're like, they're like, I'm facing God, they're facing Israel, they're, I'm, I'm right, like, they're like, I'm, they are like, I'm, I'm leading the, the parish to God, like, in, like, I'm a worship of God, yeah. I'm a facing Israel. Yeah, so the, the, the Old Which Testament, like. yeah, the Old Testament significance of it is you face Israel. So, or you face, excuse me, Jerusalem, because in Jerusalem is the temple, and the temple is the Holy of Holies. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I almost said Bob Marley. Um, but in that, right, so you're facing Jerusalem, because that's the holy city, because that's where God dwells. So you face east. So when Israelites leave Jerusalem and go move back to Galilee of the Gentiles, they turn, they faced Jerusalem, which was typically facing east if you're in the Roman Empire, right? Now, the interesting thing was, Christ says that when the Son of Man returns, he will come from the east, That's right? Yeah, yeah. So. But a lot of rad trads think the reason why we face ad orientum is it's ad deum. It's towards God. It is towards the tabernacle. And it's not towards the tabernacle. We put the tabernacle there and the altar there because it's towards the east. It's oriented. to And, and I mean, just think about those words. To be oriented means to face east. Like, that's fascinating to me. That Latin, the celebration of the mass, the Catholic Church is so effective the world that when freshmen go to freshman orientation, they're going to freshmen facing east, right? Like orient, east, the orientals, right? Like east, right? So as opposed to the occident, which is west, right? So, but the whole funny, the whole thing about that is it's the vision of Christ coming in his second coming. Right, mm-hmm, that's what mm-hmm. we face. So the whole liturgy is meant to be heaven. It's meant to be heaven on earth. That's the whole book of of the of Hebrews. It's the whole book of Revelation. It's heaven on earth. That's why Pope or what Pope? Oh, I call the Pope. This is funny. That's why Scott Hahn, the American Pope, <laughs> whoopsie, said. <laughs> that's why Boomer book. Pope Scott Hahn has said. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Boomer and Gen Z. The yeah. Gen Z kids love their Scott Hahn. Did not I see know. that coming. No, me too. Um, but the <laughs> the whole idea of it is you're. It, this is eschatological, and see that's one of the things that von Balthasar understood in his bones is that the modern church had lost its eschatological moorings. We weren't focused on Christ coming again, right? And the liturgy participates in Christ coming again. So if the sanctuary is heaven and the priest is Christ. Then when I go up to receive Holy Communion, I am processing towards the heavenly Jerusalem, not the earthly Jerusalem, mm-hmm. but the heavenly Jerusalem. And the funny thing was, one of the biggest excuses to remove at Orientum is St. Peter's Basilica, because St. Peter's doesn't face east. Well, it's because it took over a building, blah, 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 all, all the stories. Blah, blah, blah. We're awesome. It's now ours. It's now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like the land, there are a lot of churches that were not built on an east-west axis that are yeah, traditional yeah. Catholic churches. But you know what the funny thing was is before they put in chairs or pews, 
when it began time for the Eucharistic prayer and the Pope was facing the people, all the people turned and faced east. They did that for centuries. Hmm. And see, that's the thing that all these traditional churches that have these you know, somewhat bizarre altars because they're not in the east-west axis, so not everyone can face in union, they would just turn around and face east. Right, because that was the meaning, right? There, there's a Protestant, there's like a Protestant tradition in like Puritan New England to like bury people on the east facing side of hills so mm-hmm. that when Christ comes again, they can stand up, right? Like, yeah. like my feet are facing east so I can rise and we stand. were right. <laughs> Sorry, slaves. <laughs> I always hear that prop. Every time I hear the word Puritan, I think. You know they were chaplains on slave ships, yeah. right? Your your uh, your precious Puritans partners purchase people. Mm-hmm. That's a great line. So th- that that's the thing is like, but when you go to the regular mass, it's not just. This is the thing that like, if you never study, have you ever read Sacrosanctum Concilium? You ever actually read it from beginning to end? I mean, from beginning to end. I'll, I'll let you answer that. <laughs> I'm sure I've probably read parts of it here and there. You, you read quotes. Right, yeah. many, many Catholics who are somewhat informed. Of I read J.D. Flynn's tweets whenever he talked about it at some point in time. Yeah, right. But most Catholics have not actually read any liturgical document, let alone the main one from Vatican II. But the thing is that, like, when we go, so we're not liturgically formed by the documents, even though Vatican II is the documents. So when we go to Mass, the context of the Mass forms us, right? So if you're at Old St. Mary's, it would probably be very weird if someone started doing a laser sh- light show with fog machines. Would not go over well. It would not only, but 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 the question is, would it be fitting? Oh yeah, no, no, no. But but then think about the whatever parish you know you grew up in or whatever, and then say, okay, would it Corpus. be fitting to have a novus ordo or a, a, a ad orientum liturgy? Like if the priest went around the altar, put up the six candles or seven candles or whatever, and and started celebrating facing away from the people. Do you think in that church, yes, because when it was built, but not with what's in there now. Right, exactly. Not what's in there now. But now let me ask you, the people who are in there now, do you think they would like that or would they say, why is this back to me? All 10 people there probably wouldn't <laughs> like it. The last time I went in 2015, it smelled like mold. And there were 10 people there, and it broke. Well, okay, so this actually. <laughs> oh, man, that's sad. Yeah, I actually was furious. I was furious. They, um, um, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to, like, just. Well, I mean, we're not saying the name of the church or the city. Yeah. So basically, the priest that was there brought up, asked everyone to come up and stand behind the altar with him while he was doing the consecration. Right. right. Aaron and I were like, No. And uh, I was fuming the entire time. Yeah. And it just, it really broke my heart. Right. Anyway. So who made that popular was Life Team. Father Dale, Monsignor Dale Fuchek, who was excommunicated. He made that popular. And the Vatican, when they found out about it, the Congregation for Divine Worship in 2004 wrote a thing saying, like, you may not in any way, shape, or form ever do this. Have the teens gather around the altar and all that stuff. Why? Well, number one, it confuses the role of the laity and the role of the priesthood. Number two, it ruins the whole symbolism. Modern man is now incapable of of complex symbolism. It ruins the whole symbolism of the sanctuary. The sanctuary is supposed to be heaven. It's like, nah, we're going to have a hippie chain and we're going to hang out here. And it's like, but Christ hasn't been offered yet. 
right? You come forward to receive Christ. You don't come forward to hang out and learn stuff. Like, no, like let the priest be the priest and mm-hmm. you be the laity. So why is the Pope doing what he's doing? Is it him? Is it really? You think this is him that's doing that? Doing what? Like the well, tradition? like you know how like like when we, sometimes you talk of a papacy, I've heard things like you know it's not like there are other people who are around oh, who are yeah, doing yeah. things. Or like is this is this like is he sitting down and writing this? Uh, I don't know about DD, the last one, Desiradio, whatever that he, the letter that he just wrote. No, he still is because he's the one who's saying like he's giving his seal, so ultimately it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it, it is on his authority, but. The thing that drives me batshit crazy about this stuff is I, I, I think the Dr. Larry Chap article hits the point, which is why is he with a sledgehammer hitting people that disagree with them on liturgy but are the most devout for most other things? Like just take contraception and abortion. Okay, now – Obviously, these are hotly contested things in the world. You go to a TLM mass, they are you will hear homilies on contraception and abortion that is in line with Paul, Pope Paul, Saint Pope Paul the Sixth. You, how many Novus Ordo churches will you go to that are in harmony with Saint Pope Paul the Sixth? So the one who gave us not Vatican II, but the one who gave us the new mass, who also gave us Humanae Vitae. You go to the churches where you hear the new mass, and this is Dr. Larry Chap's point. I'm not being controversial, but you don't ever hear this crap. You never hear the church's teaching in in regards to these controversial things, worldly controversial things. So then the question is, why does he come down like a thunderclap on those who prefer the Latin mass to a picky little point of like even the bulletin, but at the same time, Totally ignores the arch. In fact, has Cardinal Supich on, or whatever his name is, on like three different major Vatican dicasteries. And there is so much liturgical abuse in the Archdiocese of Chicago. It is ridiculous. Why doesn't he come down like a hammer on that stuff? No, he writes this sappy, or and and actually, it was quite beautiful. Deserato, you know, whatever. DD, we everyone calls it DD now. Um, but this follow up thing, it, it, it's lovely. Like I read, I read it, I read it the hour it came out. It came out, and I was like, uh oh, Pope's writing on the liturgy. <laughs> and I read it, and I was <laughs> like, I am shocked by everything he wrote now, right? Because the big thing that he was saying is, like, no one should engage in wild creativity. You should basically do the red and say the black. But here's the problem. What happens when they don't? Nothing. The only people that get punished are the people that actually care about this stuff. And, and so, that's what really confuses me. Like, yeah. when he came out with, uh, like, Modus or whatever, or whatever I was just kind of like, What? Like I, I, I don't know. I was just so, and I feel kind of bad at that point in time. I feel like I was being, like you know, again, I was externally, um, venting uh, 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 my my circle, which I think put me on the side of like the anti rad trad. Which I mean, if that means I'm anti Taylor Marshall, then I'll wear it, it proudly. But like, as someone who was like going to Old Saint Mary's and and enjoys that mass more, I was like, what, what? Why are you doing this? Like I, I just and I, I, Catholic stuff has a quote. I, I don't know if they made it up or not, but it's like where they say um, history, history 
judges popes, Catholics don't. And then there's that one line. I don't know if it's apocryphal or not. That's attributed to Saint Ignatius that says about the like pope's authority that if you were to tell me that the sky is now um red, I will say it is it is red even if it looks to be blue mm-hmm. or something like that. And I, yeah. that's where I'm like, w- what are we supposed to do then? Yeah, that's false. That is the charism of the Jesuit order to they you know their zeal to be the pope's men at the middle of the Protestant Reformation. That's awesome for Jesuits. But see, this is part of the thing that I think we lose sight of, that we lose sight of with JP2 and, and Benedict and, and all the popes we like, is that they're popes. They're the bishops of Rome. And nine times out of ten, they are, they are perceiving from what they hear. And they're very connected. Like, let's not – but they don't know everything. And they're not connected to everything. And so a hyper-papalism – Right, with a hyper, an ultramontanism is like I don't give a crap about my bishop. I'm just going to look over over the mountains. Ultramontanism, over the over the you know whatever, uh, over the Alps, over the Pyrenees, and I'm looking right into Italy through the woods, over the river, river, through the woods, woods. over the Tiber, and uh, that that's what ultramontanism means. Like I I don't care about my local bishop. All I care about is what the Pope says. Now we should care about what the Pope says, but what the Pope says, I mean. Here's the deal. If you actually gave a shit what the Pope says, we wouldn't be doing any of the crap that we're doing because previous Popes have said stuff that that completely contradict what we're doing, right? Like Pope Paul VI, why are you receiving communion in the hand? Oh, Cardinal McCarrick and Cardinal Bernadine basically got that in the U.S., (laughs) right? Like these are things that like are – are like demonstrable historical realities. Pope Paul VI did a survey of every Catholic bishop in the world, and they all said, we ought never to receive communion in the hand. This should never be a practice in the church, and anyone who does it should be instructed otherwise. But the the question becomes, like, if everyone in the Catholic church had their physical churches built with an ad orientum altar, high altar, all that stuff, why did they destroy it in order to put an altar 20 feet away? Not just like most most people listening to this go to churches where the altar is like 10, 20 feet from where a high altar would be. Right. It just pushed out a few feet, you know, whatever. But mm. that that wasn't the standard practice of churches in the 70s, 80s and 90s that were built. No, the, those churches were built. There wasn't one where it, well, where the altar was 30 or 40 feet it was more like a church in the round, even if it was cruciform. Like I was in the the cathedral church in Spokane, and Father uh, Curtis was t- walking me through it, and he was showing me like old pictures, and he's like, they destroy, they ripped yeah. up like ten pews, yeah, it's crazy. They pushed the altar out here. They had this weird cloud looking thing over their heads, yeah. And they and and I'm like, why? Well, in 1964, the group called Concilium said you are required to do this, yeah. And then all of a sudden, like in the spirit of – so in different dioceses and in different countries, it all was differently implemented. But think about why would people on a dime flip? And part of it was, well, this is what's going to reach modern man. That's the number one thing. That's the, that is what everyone said of Vatican II. That's what, and, and I agree. Like the church as it was isn't going to be the church that's going to save the future, right? But to – Completely break with the past is what Pope Bennett called the hermeneutic of rupture, and that's a no-go. And we live in an era where, like, as far as I can tell, Pope Bennett, Pope uh, Francis is from the, the church of rupture. Like, no, 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 you're clinging to old forms that don't matter now 
stop it and move on. And when you read Traditionis Custodes, that's exactly that's basically what he says. He says um, that they're they're not adhering to Vatican II, and there are those fringe groups. There are the Taylor Marshall. Taylor Marshall is seen as like a bizarre fringe person in most traditional Latin Mass communities. It's that money, though. Yeah, at first they were like, "Yeah, this guy's awesome," and now they're like, "Whoop, okay, bye." You know, but you don't hear those people. Those people aren't loud on Twitter, right? They're well, not. and okay. So, what would you say about? Um an added like having an attitude not where does receptivity come in with all this well so, so if if, if yeah. i'm as a church if i'm supposed to have an attitude of reception which is one of benedict's big big things which is that like that's what's destroyed like a lot of stuff is just is taking more of a masculine approach as opposed to a feminine one where i'm receptive to what is going on if i'm constantly arguing or trying to push or trying to get things to be a certain way is that am, am, am i in danger of like i'm a, of I'm, of i'm a losing am i just doing the same thing which is what which is what the world's trying to do which is build the world that i want to see as opposed to be receptive to whatever the, the lord and the church are calling us to i think the danger is receptive to what mm-hmm. sure and that's the part that I think, as Catholics, this is what's so confusing about these times. Yeah. This is what it is yeah. for me. Like, yeah. I sit down with the, the, the priests of the ordinary. I sit down with people who are more traditionally minded. And I was like, all right, here's the, like, I literally, I'm hearing you give a talk, and I can blow holes through six things. Let's talk about these things, because I can't reconcile what you said. Like, it feels like a straw man. So, for instance, what are we receptive to? Pope Benedict would say that we ought to be receptive to the church as it has been for 2,000 years, not the church as it has been for 60 years, right? So the Pope is not an absolute dictator. See, th- that is a pro- that's hyperpapalism, right? When you think the Pope is a dictator who can just do whatever he wants, he can't. His first thing that hems him in is sacred tradition. Second thing is sacred scripture. But if you don't care about that, if you think you can literally rewrite every teaching and one of Pope Francis's major guys who he rewrote the laws of pontifical universities to kick out Pope Paul the Sixth or Pope John Paul the Second's appointees, Livio Molina, remember I was saying like Livio Molina, you can crash on my couch. He rewrote the rules of pontifical academies to oust faithful Catholics, put in questionable ones, and now they're tweeting, well, humane vitae, none of that stuff is uh, infallible church teaching. And you're like, well, it's part of tradition. Yeah, but that didn't matter. So this is the question, receptive to what? So then the question becomes, this is why the Pope, um, Pope John Paul, when he reformed the Code of Canon Law in 83, one of the things he put in there was the rights of the lay faithful. Because, and you and I know, Bishops have a lot of power and they have a lot of sway mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. over priests, over laity. So how do I get to defend my rights from a vengeful bishop? If you're a priest and I don't like you and I'm your bishop, I can say psychological problems and now you're whisked away to some institution for 12 months? What's your recourse? Yeah, yeah. When a priest who was abused by a gay priest... In the young, uh, when he was a boy, then becomes himself a priest, and then sees that the church he's assigned to is flying a pride flag, and it triggers him, and he takes it and burns it, and then Supich says, "Whoop, you're done." Well, what about the guy doing goofy shit to the Eucharist 
you know, in these 20 videos that people are sending me. Like, this is the thing. It's like, receptive to what? Because they'll say, you're not receptive to the spirit of Vatican II. And, and I'll tell you, there is no mass of Vatican II. It was the biggest lie I was ever sold. The Novus Order is the mass of Vatican II. No, it wasn't. Vatican II issued reforms. Sacrosanctum Concilium has reforms and guidelines. They didn't have a mass. It didn't create a mass. There was a mass that came in the middle. Our priest friend, Father Matt, was like, man, have you guys ever seen the 67 Missile? This is awesome. That was just totally thrown away. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a bitch. I'm just a bitch. It's true. What, we should have chant in Latin. Only in Latin. Okay, great. Chant was written for the Latin language. That's why when you take the English words, you just translate it and smash it on top of a Latin plain chant tune. You you hang out with the word of for a too long of a time. Because in Latin, they don't have of. Like, they have the genitive endings and all that stuff. Be like, oh, of the father. You know? <laughs> That's what happens when you just take a translation slap it on top. Okay, I'm not for that. I'm for authentic, beautiful vernacular. I'm for holiness. I'm for sacred music that is something that's not profane, right? But my problem is the moment you start implementing it, people lose their effing minds. And it's like, but this is what the church still says to do. This is what Pope Francis said to do. It's in the book. It's in the book. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make the Latin Mass. It's in the book. You must have communion plates when you receive Holy Communion. You must. You must. It has not been abrogated. So if you're listening, you're a priest, and you don't do communion plates, just say to yourself, okay, why? It's not because someone told you not to. It's because of the context. The unofficial official rules. And that's what scares me, because that's what leads to confusion among Catholics. I read this. It says one thing. I look at my bishop. There's another. How do I reconcile? It is not easy. Not good, Bob. Not good, Bob. This is this is the prophecy of Akita. The, you know, the apparition of Akita. She said priests and bishops will turn against one another. It'll be the worst time for the church. You'll have cardinal opposing cardinal, priest opposing priest, uh, bishop opposing bishop. And I'm like, I, I, I know there's always been like rivalries and Medici popes and all that crap. I'm like, but it's bizarre when it's over the mass, right? Like, it's not over me getting more power. It's literally over the mass. Mm -hmm. And the only people Mm -hmm. who are getting their shit taken to the curb, to the dumpster, and getting booted are the people who are trying to defend the tradition. That's the thing that drives me insane because I can't stand half those people. (laughs) I know. That's that's what bothers me, too. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, no, no. But then, like, the people I've met, they're like, they're very proud about their liturgy, right? Not the Latin mass, the ordinary stuff. Like, when I go to the ordinary mass, they're very proud about their liturgy. They love it. But they're not assholes. I've, I've yet to meet an asshole. I mean, Brian Jones, he's totally an asshole. But the yeah. other people, I've yet to meet an asshole. And so I'm just sitting there like, like I've, I've never met a priest who's more on fire for his people ever in my life than Father David Hust. Mm-hmm. Like, he literally comes to my office, and he's like, okay, how can I – you know this person a little bit better than I do. How can I serve them? Like, what do they need? What, is, what do you think? Like, have you been praying about it? Have you been fasting for this person? I'm like, no, I don't think about them until I have to email them. What the hell are you talking about? Like, There's 10,000 people. He's like, yeah, but these people need our love. And I'm like, yeah, no, okay, okay, let's do this. I'm a broken little man. Well, I, I just like – why do you want to go to the FSSP? What was the thing? 
I just really want. I, I'm just so tired of like being tired of what's going on during mass. I'm so tired of being like, oh, no, don't do this here, please, please don't. No rock guitars, no rock guitars. Like I'm, I'm just tired of of like, I'm tired of the ha ha hallelujah ha ha. Like I'm just like the whole like. I'm just I'm I'm tired of the applause. I'm tired of the screens. I'm tired of the show. Uh like I'm just I'm reminded of uh I'm sure it's from the Bible or something, but that that John Foreman song where he's like I uh I, I hate all your show instead. I th- I think this is where he like goes into like the Psalms or, or or something, but it's just like I just I'm sick of the show and I'm sick of the um I I'm sick of like I'm sick of constantly having to make allowances in my head for what is going on. And I'm sick of everly well, having t- to see that. And I just don't know where else to go to mass. I yeah. legit don't know. I don't know where to go. And the thing that I caught myself saying was, well, at least we have a valid Eucharist. I'm, uh, Jesus is still present. Why do we as Catholics have to sit with a consolation prize of at least it was it, it might have been illicit but it wasn't invalid I got Jesus in the Eucharist it's like I'm worth more than that <laughs> like my kids are yeah. worth more than that yeah I'm a pretty pretty princess I'm a princess of the king I'm special damn it I'm yeah. special let it go and and I I think there's I I just get worried about turning into just a bitter like angry um yeah i don't know yeah i don't and i don't want that ever 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 like one of my favorite uh, masses was like i can't remember what like a wedding it was but it was just in a hotel one of the priests like it was father dave just like said mass in, in the hotel for everyone who who was like traveling and i remember being like okay it's not like i was like i wouldn't want this every week i probably don't ever want this again this is a special <laughs> thing for right now yeah i love this this is a community who's here right now coming together and there's like a deep faith for what we are all experiencing here right now and it was wonderful and i primarily want that i want a mass where like it's about i'm leading us all to god and a group of like faithful people coming together as opposed to this weird like we have a guitar now I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It's just like, and I feel I feel like a lot of people, like I want that, but then I want like the bells and whistles of like the traditional stuff, you know, and I just feel like I can never find, I, I just, uh, I think like I'm never able to find both. Yeah. And it's just, it's frustrating. It is. And I would say, it, it, at least in part, those are two different things. One is the Christian community born from the Eucharist, yeah. and the other one is the celebration of the Eucharist. And to have the first, the community, and at the celebration of the Eucharist is awesome, right? That's that's what I imagine the the early apostles, you know, Acts two forty two, like, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, fellowship, and the prayers. Like that's probably what they had. Mm-hmm. But the question becomes like. What is the point of the mass? Like, what is the point of the mass? It is the representation in an unbloody manner of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, why then do I need to take a third thing and then add it to that? Right now, I understand why I do 
because for me, that's warm, it's human, it's great, right? But when you read Sacrosanctum Concilium, it says the, the liturgy of the mass of the church is like the church. It is human and divine, right? It is visible and invisible. And then it says, but in the liturgy of the church, the human is, is ordered to and subordinated to the divine. The visible is subordinated to the invisible. And the thing that we all want to do is we want to take our distant God and we want to make him familiar. And mm. that's mm -hmm. when we ruin the mass. That's so interesting. That's a, that's a great way to put that. I wish yeah. it was original, but Brian Jones said it in a talk. <laughs> oh, Brian so Jones. Busy. But see, that's, that's his whole thing. He said, we want to take... He said, in the, the, that's a good line. The, that's a good line. It is because he's like, that, that's the impulse, right? We're like, God is transcendent. I want to make him imminent. I want to make him mine. I want to bring him here. And he said, look at the churches that are transcendent. They have a high altar. They have lofty art. They have lofty music. They have lofty paintings, statues, everything. Look at the churches that only view God as comfortable, familiar right here. They have plain walls. They have carpet. They don't have sacred art. They have a table and not a high altar. Why? Yeah. Because that's what's that's our home. We're 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 putting up drywall because we're creating our living rooms. Let me ask you this though: There's something I like about a quote unquote stripped down um, stripped down mass because it's like this is what um, like what's going on here is what matters. Is that wrong? Like going back to the idea of like why I love the like early morning mass at Steubenville was just, it was just stripped away of everything. And I was fully able to kind of like, Oh, this feels like a, like the mass is like, that's when I first think, I, honest to God, that's when I think I first had to really understand, even though I didn't quite have the words for it yet. The mass as liturgy. Yeah. As this ongoing prayer, there's all, I, I think, I mean, the, probably the first, first part was when like, I was an altar server and started like when I heard the priest say like I like I'm washed of my sins, I'm cleanse me of my like I was like oh he's doing like these other little side prayers thing here like that's yeah yeah like that was like huh that's pretty cool, um, and then that in college just seeing it all stripped down and prayed very very well and was just like oh there's something, this is a whole thing, like this the, the, the like what's happening here is happening regardless of any of the music or anything else that is that is going on and i like that yeah i yeah and so sometimes when i hear you say things like the art and the and like the like high altar i'm like i'm with you but isn't that still at the service of what's going on always okay. at the service is that so is that that's still the visible and what being, is going yeah. on Right. See, that's the thing is what is happening when we go to mass? Well, okay. Okay. So let me just ask you this then. Yeah. Are there other things that could be used at the service? Are there other invisible things that could be used at the service of the, of the invisible that aren't steeped in Western tradition? Yeah. Go to an Eastern church. But like, I'm like, I'm thinking of like churches in Africa that tend to be, have more, they have different things and different things like where there's more like, um, chanting or songs or different, not chanting, but like, yeah, you know what no, I mean? Like, no, they're more the loud. They're just louder. Yeah. The yeah. Ethiopian rite is is older than the Roman rite. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, and the Coptic is older 
Like these are the principal liturgies of the and guess what? Like even though like if you were to go to a traditional Latin mass and you were to go to a Byzantine mass, a Coptic mass, a sacred liturgy or divine liturgy, you would see them as different but brother and sister. Right? This is a very common argument. You see them as brother and sister. Why? Sacred mysteries take place in the sanctuary. In the East, they te- <laughs> this one priest said, they divide the difference. In the West, we let you see but not hear. In the East, they let you hear but not see. Meaning in the East, they go behind an iconostasis. There's literal, yeah. there's not yeah. gates, there's doors, right? Like, and you have, you, and so you hear bell, the priests are wearing bells. They're sa- saying the prayers and they say them out loud. In the Latin West, they let you see into the sanctuary, the sacred mysteries, but they don't really let you hear because in the traditional Latin mass, many of the, like the Roman canon is said quietly. So then the question um, that we're talking about, about simplicity and you, you pull out the form, we've lost this notion of the said mass, you know, because part of the abuse of the TLM was these, you know, 12 minute, 15 minute, 17 minute rush daily masses. But there is this place of like, if we strip down the mass, what is it supposed to be? So when I'm in the church, and I'm in a church, the church should be a church. It should call to mind not devotion, but liturgy. So everything up at the front should be about heaven, the eschatological reality. That's why the the chapel, the Sistine Chapel, has you know, all these biblical, beautiful things. But in the front is what? In the front is the second coming of Christ, right behind the high altar. That's what it is. I didn't go. <laughs> you were no, drinking the night before. No, we. I had to make a choice between doing that and the Scavi tour, and I t- did the Scavi oh, tour. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You have chosen poorly. I, no, I would have liked to have seen. I just, I just, I wanted to see the bones of Peter. I just kept crying. I just kept. I'm like, what? oh man, Scott Hahn must love this place. It's salvation <laughs> history. Scott, Somebody I'm here. Covenant. I'm here. <laughs> Are you proud some. of me? <laughs> covenant, covenant, covenant. Shot, shot, shot. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, like that's the thing. It's like yes, there there is places for these beautiful, simple masses that are deeply heartfelt. Okay, like like think about it when when you were going to mass with one of your close friends who became a priest, and you're in a chapel of like ten people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's going to affect you on a human plane radically different than when you're in your average Sunday church. Yeah, and you know even if it's done executed excellently, and there's a great. A triangle though, where you can hear this little ding, ding. ding. I prefer a rain stick. Um, <laughs> but what is the mass? Right, those things add to it. But what can be added to the death and resurrection of Christ being offered in front of you? See, that's the thing that I never wanted to think about because I wanted to create. I wanted to make impact into people's lives with the mass. So you mm, jazz it up yeah. here, you jazz it up there. Yeah. But I think many of us are so saturated with the jazz it up that when we go to just a simple mass, we're like, oh, thank God. All the pretension is gone. Yeah. Well, that's why I used to get so annoyed when I was at the Archdiocese. You would constantly people talking about, we need to use the mass as a primary form of evangelization or something. And I was just like, shut up. Shut up, right. all of you. Yeah. It's for the initiated. Yeah, Vatican II says not everything of the sacred liturgy exhausts all that it means to be a Christian because it presupposes you're evangelized. Presupposes. It presupposes. Yeah, this, uh, someone sent me this um, tweet. Uh, it was a video of an Irish priest, and he's like, oh, these young men. I saw be- that, yeah. Did yeah. you? 
Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, he's like, yeah. I'd rather them not be priests than be old traditional or than be traditional. I'd rather priests. this whole thing just go away. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, like the Dominicans in the Netherlands, they literally built a separate formation house because they don't want to see the young men wearing the traditional habits. They don't even want to see them. They they hate them so much. Like like old the Dominicans? Old, the old people. Yeah. The old the, Dominicans. Oh, so the old um, Dominicans don't wear the habits? Not in the Nether- not in this community in the Netherlands that the article is about. Yeah, they they're they're furious with them. In France, you there see, was this yeah. there was this monastery, a Franciscan monastery, where they had um, a bunch of like you know they had this epic library that was like five hundred years old. So they had all these books, and people started buying them. They listed them on eBay, and all these rad trad groups started buying them. And uh, when they realized who was doing it, they just took them all out and burned them. Oh my gosh! Because they were like, we we don't want you to recreate prayer books from the you know 1700s lord of mercy why would uh, right see this is the thing why is, why so we why have would this you one, do that we have this one woman who who is like i'm sick and tired of all these radical liturgical changes and it's like they're not radical liturgical changes it's a return to what the church asks and so when we talk about this she said but it's ridiculous it no longer feels homey and i said does it feel like the death and resurrection of jesus christ being offered and she's like, I, I don't even know what that means. And I'm like, right, you don't. And that's the problem. For the last 50 years, 20 years, pick your poison, we've been emphasizing, we got to give your neighbor a handshake, you know, tell them you love them, yeah. you know, welcome here. And it's like, well, actually, I came here because I need to encounter the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ being offered for me. And that man up there is the only person in this whole building who has the power to do that. And he's too busy pretending like he's one of us. And he's also pretending like we're one of him. And that shit ain't true. Like when we do tours of the church now, we don't let people go into the sanctuary. And we have this person be like, well, that's dumb. Why, how are the kids supposed to learn about the mass? And it's like, well, they have these documents that say this is the altar. That's the ambo. That's the presider's chair. These are the, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, how, you know, how are they supposed to learn about the mass? I said, and then I, eventually I was like, they are. They're learning about the mass. Because they're learning that their place is in the pew, not on the altar. Oh, okay. You're like, sweet Moses. That was awesome. Okay. No resistance. (laughs) That went well. Now to the next one. Uh, uh, On a totally unrelated note, have you watched Hot D yet? Hot D? What the hell is that? House House of the Dragons or whatever. All right. We're about to get honest. You ready Let's for this? Do it. Let's do it. Me and Shannon watched it. Yeah. I skipped the uh, prostitute house. Yeah, scenes. I know. I know. That was real annoying. I turned, We watched the whole thing, and I said, yeah. So I had a friend say it felt like season one of, can... of, of, of Game of Thrones. Like, it didn't bit. feel like season seven or eight. No. It felt like no. season one. Yeah. And I turned it off, and I said, okay, Shannon, I'm never going to watch that show again. I said, because I uh, and all of Matt Frad's previous porn podcast, anti-porn podcast (laughs) fans would be delighted to hear this. I said, I feel awful watching that show. I literally, I literally felt, you know, the scene where they're in the lists and they're doing the jousting and the guy loses his shit that he got knocked off the horse. So he starts like just fighting the guy and then he takes his axe. I'm watching this and every you know and, and it's supposed to demonstrate the callous disregard that the aristocracy and the fans have 
of human lives. And then the squire is off on the right puking he's his guts, puking out. guts out. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know what? Fuck this show and fuck George R. R. Martin and fuck everyone that's a part of it. <laughs> like, this is my heart. This is literally where I was at because I was like, this is I, a human person being yeah. brutally, disgustingly yeah. murdered. Sorry, I'm not laughing at you. No, sorry, no, 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 no. Just, totally, totally. It is going. absurd that I said that. Like, let's yeah. be honest. Your laughter was correct. <laughs> and I just sat there and I was like, everything about this I hate. And you then die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. <laughs> and I realized that the the thing that I didn't like about Game of Thrones was like, you know, and you kind of talked about, well, it was more Victor- later or like pre-Victorian era than it was actual Middle Ages and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But the idea that I had, it was, it was like everyone is evil. Everyone is constantly thirsting for power and everyone should be opposed. And if you're a good person, you're probably going to get killed. Right, like Ned Stark or whatever. Like, if you actually care about properties of justice, you, you, yeah. you'll lose your head. Yeah. And I was like, this thing is so disgustingly Nietzschean, will to power, yeah. gross, I cynical. I, I said it, it literally made my heart sad. And here's a side note that I, I don't, I, I don't know if this is going to be left in the show, but I yes. am fighting with every inch of my willpower to not descend down into a pornographic cesspool that it that that was my life for years and then up Mm -hmm. and down and up and down but like i don't like i pray hail marys throughout the day when my brain is you know like you know just things grab my attention and i'm like oh hey here's a temptation over here 20 steps down the line in the past, I would go 15 steps down that line and I'd be like, well, yeah. okay. Now I'm like, holy shit, uh, step one, step two, maybe, okay, I'm yep. probably lying to myself, probably step no, 10. No, 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 but no, I don't, yeah, right. there's a, yeah, there are many, when you get from that, that point to the point where it's like, oh, I should probably stop, there are many opportunities to step off. Yes. Yes. The people that we're not always aware of. Yeah. Yes. And St. Teresa of Avila says, you know, it's easier to oppose the devil when he's at the front gate than when he's in, inside the house. And so let me just be weirdly honest with you right now. Mm-hmm. I was talking to that Amazonian Latvian woman, and she's mm-hmm. this gorgeous human person, right? Mm-hmm. She's an absolutely beautiful woman. And I'm looking at she's her. She's from um, Latvia, so it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the, number one, they have a 99.99% literacy rate. At least that's what our business card claimed. Uh, <laughs> In Latvia, <laughs> you read books. Books don't read you. That's not the thing. Everyone can can um, everyone can read, but Joe. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, I just listened to Celtic Foxes <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> Yosef. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it's just and his room is just filled with icons of us. <laughs> but are you a patron though? Yeah, he's not. <laughs> Yosef, it's time to cough up the money. Yeah. Um, but as I was talking, okay, so this is, it's such a weird thing. But as I was talking to this woman, I, you know, ended the conversation with her. I'm about to get into my car and another, uh, a, a neighbor of mine runs down the street and she is, uh, you know, a, an older woman wearing skin tight exercise clothing and she is incredibly physically fit and curvy. She's got big boobs. And her boobs are sticking out, not literally, but like accentuated by her exercise outfit. And she comes slowly jogging by me. And <laughs> so this is the funny thing. This is the war, right? Mm-hmm. So I leave. I I get in my car. I leave. And I'm like, oh, God, why do I have to see that? Why does this crap have to happen to me? I'm trying 
to be so good. <laughs> and so Why I'm, is the world revolving around me? No, no, yeah. no. But that's that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, now I'm 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 fast forward. Right, five hours. I'm in my neighbor's backyard and I'm mowing. And my son is in the front yard with the the leaf blower and he's clearing out the grass, clippings from the driveway. And that woman pops into my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, in the past, I would have I would have kept that thought going for five to ten seconds. And I'm like, I can't do I can't do this. I can't yeah. do this yeah. because. I can't. I can't because I know me and me is not a good person. All lust hits are toxic. There's no there's no gentle way to entertain this crap. There's no human way. There is only yeah. like Christ said, and it I, I gave a whole talk in the prison on the Beatitudes and blessed are the poor or uh, pure of heart shall see God, for they shall see God. And I'm thinking That's about a, that and I'm like mm, mm. I'm too alloyed or alloyed. Right, uh, pure of heart. The literal Greek word is unalloyed. An alloy is two metals that have been mixed together, and so the idea is like, I can't do this thing where I got one foot here on earth, I got one foot in heaven, and or in the no, yeah, you can't. And this can't. this is like where I'm at in my life, in my spirituality. I'm mowing the freaking lawn, and I am literally talking out loud like a crazy person, saying prayers, being like, Jesus, Jesus, you know me. You know me. Get this thought out of my head because this is, this is I don't want to take one more step, but I know I'm going to take 10. And I'm going to go right up to that line of mortal sin. I'm going to be like, hey, mortal sin, how you doing? And then if it goes over that line, if it becomes a thing, then it's going to cascade. And I'm going to be like a dope going to confession for the same damn, you know, whatever it is. And so, like, I just, I'm trying. And then I watched Game of Thrones and I stood up. I turned it off and said, Shannon, I can't watch this. Hopefully, Amazon's Lord of the Rings will be better. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they'll show dwarf boobies. um, We'll see. But who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Well, and here's the thing about it, too. Like, uh, this is the thing you can include in there. I heard a a podcast that I, and like, the thing I love about the Game of Thrones is the, yeah, the history. And yeah, there's so much to love about it. And all the problems. And like, that's so much fun. And it's so, and like, what it's saying. And, but there's just, there's a host on there who I do like, and she was like, I don't like, she was like, I find things where it's all good or all bad to be boring. And I had this thought of like, how sad? Like, and I, and going back to that, like, uh, unblessed are the pure of heart for like, the thing about, the thing about what makes Jamie Lannister so interesting is he's such an all bad guy. And then there's a crack mm-hmm. and you see it and it opens. Yeah. And it's fun to be in th- in the gray with him, yeah. but what makes it fun is you're pushing him towards the light. Yeah, you want him to be a good man. Exactly, exactly. Absolutely. Which is why everyone gets pissed off when he goes back at a Cersei. Spoilers if you haven't seen it; it's dumb. Yeah, it really was so horrible. It was so dumb. Now, if your point is like sometimes some things just can't be broken besides a miracle. Yeah. Fine. 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 Like, but like, it's the gray isn't the point. The gray is appealing and the gray speaks to us the most, I think, because the gray, we tend to identify that in our own reality, but it's that push towards the light that we want. Yeah. Like what makes Breaking Bad kind of sad. Yeah. Is like, you see this man who's actually already pretty broken, just become more fully who he was. 
and you're like, okay, so this is what bad does to like a person. Like you never yeah. really like um Walter White. You kind of are real are like I'm rooting for him at times, but for the most part, you're just like, oh yeah. Shannon stopped watching it at the end of season one, maybe, and she mm-hmm. just said, I hate how they the whole show is predicated on making a good man bad. See, I would say he's not. He's already bad. See, I like that you said that yeah. because I think there that it's he was polite about his badness, you know. Yeah, yeah. He was socially I, acceptable in his but it, what it did it brought he was deeply resentful of the guy that did gray matters. Very 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 know? much. But yeah. it wasn't until yeah. he became a drug dealer and violent that and he could And his like his choice of outfits and the colors are very bland because his anger just made him kind of like a numb um, human being. And when he finally gets the the, diag- the diagnosis, he's like, I can either become good or become bad. And he becomes bad. It's that Nietzsche line, uh, most men are not good. They're just cowards. And it's exactly. like, all right, exactly. you got the cancer diagnosis. Now it's time to unleash. Yeah. Like, you have no more reason to be a coward. You really the, are a bad man. I like the that. Good, okay. The good guy is, um, is Jesse. Hmm. He's the good guy. He's the one who's, like, flirting with the light. Mm-hmm. Who's trying? Like you know, he's a guy who go has a scene where he's in the place. He goes to like a um rehab, uh, a rehab like support group, and he breaks down. Like I came here to sell you guys drugs, and he's like confessing his sin to everyone there. Oh yeah, I remember that. And then like, have you seen the end of it? Hmm? Okay, so you know when he like gets um captured, which I kind of don't like, but like he has someone has to suffer for what's going on. Yeah, and when he finally breaks free, which is why I've never watched the movie because I don't I don't care what happens to him afterwards. I heard it sucked, but like he's free now. He's free to be good. He's free to finally pursue the light. Yeah, you know, and that's why I I think Mad Men's better because Don Draper is constantly pursue. He's like trying. Yeah. the 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 problem is, <clears throat> especially with TV shows, they go on too long. Yes, and so you're stuck in the bad for like too long, or you tend to glorify yep. the bad, which is actually what the creators of Breaking Bad sometimes didn't like. They didn't like how liked Walter White was by some um, people. And like even John Hamm was like, playing Don Draper drove me like crazy. Like probably cost, cost him his marriage because he like became, you know, he like. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Was an alcoholic and stuff. And like all, the, and all he's like, I didn't like playing him. I mean, he, I think he liked it, but he didn't like, he's like, he's not a. He said a multiple times, it's not a good headspace to be in. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And I think with Game of Thrones and why I'm on, Aaron doesn't want me to watch it. And I kind of agree with her. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. So I'm going to stop, which sucks. But uh, no, it, it doesn't suck. I'm very happy to do it, but I'm just like, it bumps my heart. But I think you're right. It's that, like, if they're not pursuing some sort of good, then this is just glorifying the, the stuff evil. about yeah. that, like, like I could tolerate some of the sex stuff because I would like either like fast forward or just kind of you know ignore it because it wasn't for me very it wasn't very interesting, right? And it sometimes I could see like I don't necessarily mind there were scenes in like a brothel because it's you're showing the depravity. I don't think you need to show yeah. the, the depravity. You need to show that there is depravity. Yeah, two different things, right? And I I just what makes it so great though is all that stuff that's connected. I, I don't I, I, honestly I'm not like upset that I like defended the show but i'm kind of i'm with you where i'm like it's like if this is just going to be about like there's no like it's just like star wars there's people are trying to be like there's no like it's like 
they want to make the Sith on par with the Jedi. It's just to sell toys. Like, but the Sith are murderers, right? You see, like, they're all just homicidal murderers. Like, nothing's good coming about because of this. Like, no one wins. <laughs> like, no, no one like, wins when the Sith and, are in charge. And it, it just, that whole, like, um, I'm with you. I'm just, I, I, I actually kind of think it's why I like Ted Lasso so much. And I, I know there's a lot of, like, um, sex stuff in there, too, which is, which is annoying. I haven't watched the, the um, 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 second season. Yeah. But like I'm the ready for the sucked. I'm ready for the death of the of the antihero. Yeah, you know, and it's it's all of the above. Like you, we long for good stories, and the problem is when you try to write them morally, they often are they're unsatisfying as stories. And the thing that Game of Thrones was so great, I kept telling people, it was like it's literally the greatest television show that has ever been made. Like I would put Mad Men in the like the, you know these are like the top five. They're massive because yeah, yeah, because they're so sweeping and epic and incredibly engrossing in in good way. Like the world, like the best of world building is Westeros. Like when you hear the music dun 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 dun, mm-hmm. and you see the opening credit scene, you. You know the cities that they're building. Oh, now we're going up here to, you know, like Winterfell. And here's this and here's this. And this is the Starks. And winter is coming. And, like, you know the mythology. It it is, like, perfectly executed until season whatever, six or whatever. So that's the problem, like, when people want to make good stories, like good guys and bad guys and blah, blah, blah. It is very difficult to do that in a good way because it very often becomes, like, fireproof or... You know, whatever, facing the giants. It's like Christian propaganda, you know, or moral propaganda. Like, hey, you know, I'm a good guy because I'm wearing a white hat. And you're a bad guy because you're wearing a black hat, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's what we don't want. We want good stories that change lives, that have meaning. But at the same time, it's like I don't want to root for the bad guy who's just slightly less bad. I'm kind. I'm over that. I don't or want who's, that. Yeah, or, or who's good every, like... You know, every other episode does a good thing for twenty minutes. That yeah, kind of like, right? Yeah, sorry, I, I didn't mean to. Cut no, you no, off no. There. I mean, but that's it. Like, I I can sympathize with that person, whoever you were quoting, saying, you know, like I don't just want where you all oh, the good guys good and all the bad guys bad. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but we've so muddied the waters to give us like gritty impact that we don't even know like what people think. Rod Sterling and and Don Draper were the heroes, and it's like. Yeah, but like, so we're horrible and and we're human train wrecks. Yeah, right. Like, which is which? If you're paying attention, it's com- it's completely there. Yeah, and it's the point. Like, yeah. The point is, yeah. oh, now he has this. Finally, has a trendy, urban, sophisticated, beautiful, and loving, compassionate wife in this French. You know, the French. You know, whatever mm-hmm. the the, the mm-hmm. model that he marries, Man. and then he has an affair with a middle aged woman down the hall. Mm-hmm. And his daughter walks in, right? Like you see all this stuff, and you're like, "Oh, yeah, he is a horrible person. Like he hasn't. There's yeah. no freedom within him, and, and and he just threw this away, and he throws everything away because he's out of control, and you know all the stuff. And it's fascinating. Like these are excellent. But I see, still haven't seen the last season of Mad Men. Still haven't. But it, I think it's worth watching because, like, some yeah. people find it to be the most boring, but I think it's the most um, riveting because I don't know if um, riveting is the right word. You really have to be paying attention to what's going on, not yeah. in terms of the plot, but in terms of like 
what's this character doing? Yeah. And like the greatest, like what he does and what he, the great sin of Don, of the worst thing he did, I would argue, because it leads to everything um, that happens, is he takes a good man's name and does nothing with it. That is the worst thing that he did. He had an opportunity for a second um, life. A person who was a person who was, I mean, clearly abused, which yeah. is the point of the show. He's abused by um, his dad. His like his mom dies when he's born. He's abused. I mean, he's abused by the women in like you know in like the brothel where he where he grows up. Yeah, he's molested. I mean, he's like all these horrible things happen to him, and he has a second chance at like at life, and does nothing with it, and just becomes rich. Yeah. And just yeah. gets all these things because arguably because he's handsome and somewhat charismatic. Yeah. But he leans into that. He has to learn that. He's awkward at first. He's not that from the beginning. And it just it um and it, but it, I think also I, I do think it goes on a little bit too long because it falls into the same thing, which is like especially in the middle. Yeah. I think is when you start to like almost like root for him, and it's like no 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 like don't do I don't know it just. I, I'm with you. I, I, I'm a little bit like, sorry, you probably got to go to bed soon. Um, I can tell. Uh, yeah, I just, um, I wish like the story, st- I, I find the story to be interesting. Yeah. Of Game of Thrones. There were, I find the dynamics to be really interesting. Yeah. I didn't find any of the characters interesting. It's, it's hard to because you feel like, oh, I've been here before. Oh, and it takes place a hundred and something years beforehand. Oh, so I can pick up. Almost any book of the Game of Thrones books and figure out who actually wins the throne by realizing well, who the successor is. <laughs> like, you know. but, but that's not – but the, the point of the show is like, yes, you know, but you don't know the details. Right, right. And I get that. But it's like, oh, a woman passed up for power. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I've seen this before. Well, especially at the end when they were like, we are passing down this almost secret. I was like – Fuck yourself. When I saw that, because I was so mad. I was like, the secret is going to end in one episode. The secret that we were told is going to be the worst thing ever. And I was expecting it to be like a whole season. I was expecting a season of darkness, a season, an entire television season of snow and darkness. And I got one episode that we could barely see. And Arya just stabbed him at the end. I remember when that when that happened. I was so pumped for that battle. Me and Shannon. Oh. Shannon watched it with me. She watched the last three episodes. And when the battle first started and it was so dark, I was like, ooh. So we <laughs> shut every blind yeah. so that we could get every pixel. And then when it ended, I remember just being like, huh. No. No. <laughs> That's what I, I Jamie and Cersei die in the collapse of the Red Keep. Is that like saying like the thing she wanted the most ended up killing her? What's her name? Just went mad and burned everyone. Uh, okay, Jon Snow killed her. Okay, Saw that coming. Yeah, I give up. It was just I think for me it was like because I felt like episode two of that season was just beautiful, especially when um, the one guy saying when he like saying like Jenny's song. I was like. <gasps> singing the song we know the words now <laughs> um i was like on cloud i'm nine and then everything and i i just felt like i, I was i don't know i mean y- y- you knew there were like only like th- like four or five episodes uh, um left after if yeah. that i shouldn't there may have been like i don't remember i think there were only five in season eight i don't i think so something like, like 
it just yeah it um it was five or six and not ten i'm glad for the experience i'm just not sure i want to go through it all again and you know what luke your life is not gonna be failed or but like, I will miss like my conversations with you and with Dom and Steve. Like, I liked the. There'll be something else. I hope so. Maybe oh, Five Iron Frenzy will get back together. Yeah, there's gonna be a World Cup in a couple of months, and I'll actually care about it. Yeah, I'm going um, to a soccer game in ten days. Very excited for the interview on Tuesday. I know it's gonna be fun. I don't know when we're going to release that, so I need to talk to you about that and just kind of give you a bit of a prep, so you're kind of aware of the dynamic. Okay. Um, but I think it'll be really, really fun. I'm actually really excited about it. Yeah. Cool. So anything yeah, else? Uh, thank you to let's go with uh, the Saint Maker for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Boom. Three in a and, row. And uh, yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, we're doing some in. stuff. We're, we're, we're doing some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to afterwards. Some friends will come enemies and some enemies will become friends with everyone. So I'm going to be better for the experience. <laughs> Bye. All right. Oh, I'll see you. Bye.